0: Welcome to the only Big Finish podcast without crisps in it. <laughs> Greetings, who is uh, I have cause to be grateful to Gallifrey Bass for this one. thought I'd say that. Um, A gentleman called David Zerdin, hi David, thank you, Uh, got in touch to tell me about a relative of his who had a Who connection and he put us in touch and after a couple of phone calls I was off to a charming house festooned with huge beautiful canvases done by the lady herself. So she has an artistic streak and indeed was responsible for making our Doctor Who televisual pictures look all the prettier. So listen up as we talk dressing the Doctor sewing for Scaroth, and possibly the greatest Doctor Who headwear of all time. As for me, well, I always dress for the occasion. So, um, I will start by saying, well, it's ten o'clock in the morning and evening, and I'm at the lovely house of uh, a lady who worked on Doctor Who some years ago, so I'm going to ask her to tell me who she is and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who.
1: I'm Doreen James, and you've just been very polite because you hadn't numbered how many years ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> and for that reason, I say it's a great pleasure to meet you. Oh, bless you. <laughs> uh,
0: and so you, uh, uh, you'd been working at the BBC for how long before you started working on Doctor Who, and how had you got to that point? I
1: there? mean, I started because the BBC as it was then uh, it was like going into training fields so that you I went in under contract as a costume assistant so I worked with designers who'd had a lot of experience and I benefited from their experience which of course means that you're kind of equipped to start off as a designer yourself and so um, having been under contract i then became a permanent assistant but that was for a very short time and then i was suddenly thrown at pen marrick oh, was yes. a period piece with only kind of 2 weeks to get it together um, and, and why
0: was that was that an emergency
1: or was that um well i i wasn't told why but presumably having looked at who was available I maybe mean, presumably somebody hadn't hadn't been um there i was Which, in one sense, was good because I didn't have very long to think about, oh, this is my first big show.
0: Sure. Because
1: there I was doing it. And it was an enjoyable piece. The cast were great and the director and producer were nice. Um, Tina, who was the director of my part, said to me, you know, if ever you go freelance, let me know and I'll always use you. And the cameraman said to me, "Um, I'm enjoying this because. The men really have costumes, because he said so often the men are just in boring clothes and that's it. There's nothing to do with sort of colour or pattern or anything about them. And and you've put that in, which in one sense was my good fortune that I was doing the 20s and with the influence of the um, Duke of Windsor, then Prince of Wales. um, It meant there were clothes that men were wearing that were sort of more... um, Sure, Um, more um, a a way that men had of expressing their personality.
0: And did you do, obviously there's a lot of research goes into things like that, and how hidebound are you by historical accuracy when you're doing something like
1: that? You've got to work within it, but you've got to express the person's personality at the same time, you know, whatever period you're doing. Uh, I always think that you're trying to help the actor get across what the character was about, you know, that you were a team together, and you, ha- you have to kind of sense where the actor's going with the role, and, and help that come about. Does that make sense to you? Because you said to sorry, me that you're yeah. an actor. Yes, yes. indeed,
0: absolutely. Yes. Um, it's nice to hear such things nowadays, <laughs> you turn up
1: and... <laughs> and if you're lucky, you get an actor who, who comes in, and you put clothes on them, and they start to ta- to change the way they're standing, and you see them change as a person, and that's a kind of real piece of magic when that happens.
0: Somebody told me that Olivier started with the shoes. He said it was the shoes that yes. him.
1: Yes, a lot of people start with the shoes because you need the right walk mm. for the person. I mean, it's quite fun when you watch um, Poirot yeah. and you see the walk that Poirot has. You think, he must be wearing shoes that pinch really to <laughs> remember him to model, do yes, it. yes. <laughs> ah. yes. So, uh, but two weeks.
0: Nice. So that was a baptism yes. of fire.
1: It was a baptism of fire, but it was it was fun. You know, I, I enjoyed it.
0: And, and when you say that you learnt from from costume designers at the BBC, what were the things that you needed to learn when you went into television, and who were the designers that you that you benefited most uh, from?
1: I think the one I both benefited most from was a lady called Joan Ellicott who oh, yes. worked on yes. Because she did the programme on the suffragettes, and so I learnt from her. Because you have to be incredibly organised. It's all right being imaginative, but you can't get it all there on the day so that everybody knows, you know, the dresses and everybody knows what you're doing. That's it. It can't happen. Mm-hmm. So you have to. Um, I'm not sure other designers have told you you have to break down the script and work out how the days fall into place, whether what time of day it is almost so that you can understand what clothes people would be wearing and when you need to change the costumes, so that the audience know the days change, because it isn't necessarily obvious if you're just watching it, unless there's a costume change.
0: Yes, because you don't want the script to say, and today, Thursday, (laughs) after that argument we had three days ago at lunchtime.
1: So you're kind of (laughs) telling this this little understory, you know. You're you're saying as well how much money people have got in their lives you know all all these little background details that aren't in the script um i mean even a a little background detail that i was delighted was when um we did the city of death and there was a tradition of a little brooch being worn i managed to find one of a palette painting palette Mm. which was pure i mean yes i was looking but it's chance sometimes that you find these things and there it was
0: yeah, and it works so perfectly with the whole theme <laughs> of the story that's what it was, and everything.
1: Yeah, indeed. So that, that that was nice. Yeah, but I mean, people—I'm sure—watching programs have no idea that you have to do all this continuity, yeah, and,
0: and having you have to have spares, don't you, as well, in case something gets damaged. Y-
1: yes, yes, you have to watch to see if some, someone's going to have to get wet, because then you need spares and order the towels as well, yeah. and where they're going to get dry, and you know. It, it's a very practical thing and because you've got continuity you have to keep notes of what clothes are worn when you have to do lists so that the dressers know what order they're putting people in the costumes in the day.
0: So it's not just a creative job at no, all. No, it's
1: it's it's also very very much organizing. You know you, you need both skills.
0: And do you enjoy that part of it or is that a necessary evil to facilitate the creativity?
1: Uh, I think it's a necessary, well I wouldn't call it an evil because if it was an evil it would mean that you, you kind of resented needing it and you mm-hmm. just know you need it. So um, you, you just get stuck in and do it. Well,
0: and you got stuck into Doctor Who, starting yes. with uh, a favourite story of mine, I have to say, mm-hmm. The Androids of Tara.
1: With the lovely Michael Hayes, mm-hmm. who was exactly the right person to go to Paris because he adored art. Ah, yes, he did both
0: of yours. He did Android, <laughs> yes. Atari, and City of Death. Yes, yes. So is that yes. just a coincidence? I don't think so. Ah. So you <laughs> no. worked with him before?
1: No, I hadn't worked with him before. And it was, you know, first bit going ab- abroad on a production. But it was very... Um, uh, light in, in what you had to take with you. You know, there was, there was very little. Um, the costumes for the extras... Um, I had to get measurements via the lady in Paris, who I had a lovely entrecom with. The uh, The cordial didn't work very well, because I, I had to convert the metric from inches, and so having this conversation was quite <laughs> uh, 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 challenging. <laughs> so she was quite rude that we didn't use metric.
0: Over measurements,
1: <laughs> yes, and so I said we don 't we drive on the other side of the road as well <laughs> there was international relations there was a bit of international friction went, went on there, yes, yes, but Michael Hayes because he 'd worked before in paris um, he he would suddenly he decide where you were going to film and what you were going to do, so the permissions were kind of uh, ignored sort of wafted away. So that, you know, it, whereas if you were often filming here, the cameraman would put down tracks. Uh, it would be the cameraman pushed along in a wheelchair because you can whip the wheelchair out of a car, stick someone in it and, and you're there, done it and you go again. So, so. it's sort of guerrilla filmmaking. Guerrilla filmmaking, uh, yes, and with a get, smile.
0: Did you get to go over?
1: Oh, yes. So, yeah, so you had to be yes. there. Yes, yes, yes. So
0: you, you, you witnessed basically <laughs> leaping out of taxis, getting a shot and <laughs> leaping back in again.
1: Yes. Fabulous. Yes, yes. Yes, and the fact that we were, uh, the instructions were to get as much sort of image of uh, Paris so that people knew we'd spent money on going to Paris, which of course is why it got the Eiffel town. I think that day it snowed as well, because ah. it was so unexpected.
0: Yes, well of course, no, you have to have the location up on the screen, otherwise there's no point going all that way. And get all, yes. the, icon- get all the iconography you can in there.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Um, and what's remarkable about all that footage in Paris is that this was the blossoming... Of Tom Baker and Lalla Ward, who are clearly f- smitten with each other as they walk <laughs> hand in hand round Paris, and she's—I mean, she's mm-hmm. she's got that costume that you gave her—that's a sort uh, of
1: which st- I think came from Tom Baker myself. Oh, really? I know I read, and she said, but I—I uh, I think he was fully aware that the uh, the dads at home mm-hmm. would like the girl in a school uniform. Yeah, I, I may be wrong, but.
0: I wonder what, pe- what people would make of it today if the idea that <laughs>
1: a, a woman <laughs> well, dressed di- as a schoolgirl would be appealing. <laughs> I, did. I did try to make it slightly more sophisticated than the average school uniform. I think it's a brilliant costume. I love so, it. And I
0: remember that I, I think the look of that whole story yes. is one that's very embedded in my head from when I watched it as a kid. Yes. Um, and, you know, talking of practical things, though, Julie and Glove are all in white. That must be a bit of a nightmare.
1: Not if you've got a good cameraman. Not not good. Li- I should say lighting man, because one of the the, the the challenges for lighting men is doing black and white, because basically ha- having talked to one about it, you you have to light indirectly. You have to bounce light off other things, and if you don't, it will flare, because you, if you light the black, you're over lighting the white. That right. makes sense.
0: Yes, that does.
1: Yeah. So you light around. And a good cameraman will do that. And a bad cameraman will upset you by bashing it on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lovely story, actually, once about Bette Davis. I think she must have been being interviewed by Parkinson. And she gave the lighting man a lecture during the show.
0: Oh, really? As I, I understand have to like it. Her. Yes.
1: <laughs> because, of course, when she was filmed, I mean, the, the Hollywood lighting was absolutely brilliant. Mm. I, mean, I think it's never been better because it, it had style. You know, proper style.
0: Well, and talking of style, it's interesting because and talking of lighting as well, mm. because in those days you did your work on film and on videotape. Mm. Did you have a preference? And which which texturally makes things look different? Did Did you have a preference, or did it did it Did you sometimes think, oh, that looks so much better on film than it is on et? No
1: no, no. no, no. I think the big difference wasn't necessarily to do with the cameras; it was to do with. um being in studio, I think, felt fake in in a sense that you, you it it was an un, not the natural environment. Um, so there was a slightly, I guess, wooden quality to everything in there somehow. It, didn't, it was just a feeling about it. I don't think it was to do with how different the cameras looked. It was due to the difference in the environment you were working yeah, I'm in. Sure, yes. Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, We've touched briefly on Julian Glover's um, white costume. He also Mm. has this remarkable housecoat thing that he comes in. Yes, I
1: know, I know. I spent a lot of budget on that because I love that fabric.
0: And So you you would have made that, designed that and made that from scratch?
1: Yes, yes, I I found the cabaret. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to put him in that style of coat, and then I was fortunate in finding the fabric that I thought worked for it. And I didn't look at the price on that. particular <laughs> Not too hard. <laughs> well, because fact... a lot of, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as expensive to do, really, because it was kind of more modern clothes. So there was only a little bit that I was making. Sure.
0: But, the, of course, you have the problem, Doctor Who, a famously low-budget show. Mm. The two villains in City of Death are multimillionaire art thieves. So mm. you have to dress multimillionaires <laughs> on a BBC budget.
1: Yes, yes. But I think, again, style can do that. I mean, it helps as well if if um, the person knows how to carry clothes, as because I think there are some people that, that um, their posture would, would make them look like they were in cheap clothes, whatever you put them. In. And and there are other people that, as I say, you know, some actors have to change their posture to look sure. like. Well, um,
0: Catherine Shell exudes class, does mm. she not? Oh yes,
1: yeah. absolutely. Uh,
0: She's a great villainess
1: with her. Yes, with her. Um, it must have been and it was wonderful having John Cleese and Eleanor Bron suddenly. And we only knew right at the last minute that they were going to be in it, so we had very little time. And it was great fun. And it went into the the Christmas tape. I don't know if you're aware that the studio editors did a Christmas tape during the year.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And that was put in their tape.
0: Bit of banter between t- Tom yes. and Tom and John Cleese.
1: <laughs> yes. Um,
0: so, oh, so you were sort of you were on standby where you for you were going to have a cameo come, but nobody knew who they were going I, to I, be. I, I,
1: I didn't know about that little bit. I, I, it's my memory is that I did. Memories play you false. Sure. Uh, but uh, my memory is it was it was very last last minute, and I'd worked with Eleanor Braun in the theatre. So it was. It was nice to have a, a few minutes with her.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's one we went of those... shopping
1: together. So. Oh, 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 so
0: you got t- you got time to go and choose an outfit.
1: Oh yes, 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 yes.
0: The per- perks That's of her. being a celebrity cameo. <laughs> um, and so, Michael did both of your doctor's, and he, yes. and he was an artist. So, what sort of temperament was he to work with, Michael?
1: Oh, a delight. Um, I think he thought on his feet, um, and his mind was sort of kind of. Active about it, and it it just flowed. And he he was one of the nicest people you could work with. Um, I mean, and it it is a
0: very fondly remembered story. Can you understand Mm. why that is? Because it's 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 very witty, you know. Yes,
1: yes, and also it's sort of good. It's simple, good and evil, isn't it? It's, um, and I suppose having the Mona Lisa, is it? It's got to be fun. Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, and of course, you also. I mean, you had to design a costume for um, a man that also had an oversized spaghetti head and one eye. So <laughs> yes. would you have had to work in conjunction with the visual effects chaps with that?
1: No, or? it worked very easily. Um, you know, the, the head didn't cause the costumes any problem and Vicky Verkey. Uh, right. That, that I'm, I'm pleased to say... Um, well, he's got it a cravat just, on, of course, so yes, that he can, his indeed. head can
0: sprout out. You can, you can loosen the cravat <laughs> You, you just know it's
1: coming, yes. Yeah.
0: Well, that that was actually, that was your um, second Doctor Who, because, so we're going in reverse order, but that's all right, it's Doctor Who, it's time travel. Mm-hmm. Because your uh, inaugural uh, Doctor Who is another a brilliantly designed story, directed by Michael Hayes, lots mm. of fun. The Androids of Tara, mm-hmm. uh, which... Um, you seem influenced by... You, you're presenting a futuristic society, but with influences from British history, which yes. is a nice conceit.
1: Yes, yes. I so mean, what
0: was the thinking behind that?
1: Well, I, I, I was enjoying looking at pictures of the Raj as the show came along, and I just thought, well, I needed something to hang it on, because all these wonderful military uniforms which have bars in particular places and, and this. Um, and I thought, well, that's, that's a good basis for doing their uniforms. Because I think, you know, you have to have your ideas from somewhere. Um, and I'm sure I I loved it at the end. The last shot of the whole shoot when we were away was Leeds Castle through a glass with little bits on so that it became... <laughs> That's right, yes. tied in. chopped with yeah. Yeah, yeah. futuristic uh, So we were all together, additions. yes. And there was a lovely story in it as well, a Tom Baker story. Um, he had the, a fishing rod, mm-hmm. which was an antique fishing rod. And he cast off over the pond and the rod split into two halves and half of it <gasps> landed in the water.
0: Oh dear, <laughs> not what you should do with an antique fishing rod. No,
1: no, it, it was it was soon retrieved by the props department and, and put back together, but it was nice. Because inevitably filming at Leeds Castle, you got an audience. Sure. And so they quite enjoyed watching it. Yeah. And I must also say, while we're mentioning Tom, um, he was really great. With the kids, I mean, he really cared about the the children watching Doctor Who and what it was about for them. And I remember one mother coming up with her young son and started started to talk to Tom, and she never let the little boy have a word. She was the one who was doing the talking, and eventually Tom kind of, sort of, very nicely indicated to her that he wanted to talk to the boy. Oh yeah, <laughs> nice. which was was nice, and he did it very gently, you know, sort of civilly but clearly. Yeah. And he, he
0: was he fairly easygoing about what you you decked him out in because it was always a variation on a the theme. The doctor's costume, wasn't it? Yes,
1: yes. I mean, he had his costume, and that was it. And I think um, uh, there'd have been a, a battle if he'd wanted to change it, really, because that that was him. That mm. was it. So,
0: um, and um, with androids of Tara, uh, and so your your. You've got co- costumes influenced by by history, so therefore yes. was it a mix were the costumes in stock that you could get, or did you have mm, to build stuff?
1: No, no, no. It was uh, the extras. You got stock clothes, and I can't remember hard any or not. I, you know, whatever, because they were sort of court bit. Um, but but basically, it was a matter of getting things made. But the uniforms were pretty much to one kind of pattern, I think. Mm. So it you know to start, so it, it wasn't difficult to organize and it was fun organizing Mary Tan's outfit.
0: Yes, well that's that's a really that's an a a uh, 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 a very nice costume the blue mm. isn't it the metallic blue. I think it's,
1: it's it's a mauve a mauve and emerald green.
0: Yeah, so that was that was your design and you you yeah. you, you created that. Which I thought scratch. had
1: a slightly military feel with the mm. the shape. Um but yes it came from from scratch,
0: And did you, did you, would you would you run that sort of thing by her? Was she, you know, did she you have you an input to, into you, costume? Well,
1: you've got to check that the artist is going to be happy, I think, wearing what you're going to put them in.
0: And she, well, we talked about um, uh, glamorous uh, people and people who can hold a costume. I no, suspect she could, Mary totally, Town was pretty easy to dress.
1: Absolutely, yes, yes. I think uh, making her look dreadful in clothes would have been hard work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if the character demanded it, she'd have gone along with it, but I think um, uh, she, 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 had your work, she was it. naturally elegant, mm. yes, and, and a nice lady.
0: And, uh, well, it's a nice cast, actually. I mean, mm. Peter Jeffrey is one of yes, my favorites. Yes, and Cyril, Cyril Shaps was, was sweet. Cyril Shaps is a legend yes. amongst Doctor Who. <laughs> and also, you, he has quite a remarkable hat yes. in The Androids of Tara.
1: <laughs> Made by my good self.
0: Was it you made Cyril Fax's hat? Yes, because
1: uh, one thing I think about Doctor Who um, is because of the budget, quite often designers made things for it, you know, because you had to, because you hadn't got the pennies to do anything else.
0: Sure.
1: So it was a chance to sort of really be creative with your hands, Doctor Who, to, to designers. Not not just what you were creating, you know, the look of, but actually the, you, you you got... Stuck in every sense.
0: Yes, well, I interviewed another costume designer the other day who hated Doctor Who. Really? Uh, who's and, and I thought and I said, but I'd have thought as a costume designer to do something like that that stretches your imagination and gives you a blank template is much mm. more interesting than dressing somebody in a soap opera or a contemporary mm. sitcom. Mm. So you you, you you would find that you would find oh, that yes. science fiction is is where you get to mm. you know spread mm. your creative wings. In a yeah, way.
1: absolutely. Wonder- also in rent ghost I had my creative wings. Oh, tell us about rent ghost <laughs> Oh, rent was great fun. Because you could really have an input. I mean, Jeremy Swan was a, a, a sweetheart. He'd, he he had been um, a theatre designer, uh, you know, earlier. So he was quite well in, into design. And so it was great to talk. And you could put f- forward changes. Because I remember one, Molly Weir had to metamorphosize into a character in Dallas. And the original script that was that she would be the matriarch of the family because of her age, and Molly was short and slight, and I suggested she became the little blonde girl who was called the Poison Dwarf. Yeah, Lucy, <laughs> yes, you see you in. <laughs> and they said, well, if Molly was happy. And, of course, she was far happier being dressed as that than, than the matriarch figure, so that, 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 was, that was nice, that you could actually have that amount of input.
0: It looks like it was a, a, a real hoots renter goes to work on. Oh, it
1: was, and and um, I remember the day the Daily Mail turned up with um, great joy because I did some um, Sue Nichols. They had to become brownies, you know, they had to get into the sky. And I did her uh, her brownie outfit, was really like a, a naughty French maid's outfit. It was kind of where it came from. Um, and, of course, they took one look at Sue as dressed as that and the cameras were clicking away <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> well, I guess it was good for Renderghost because you got extra cover and I'm sure more fathers watched that episode than some of the others. Yes,
0: well, yeah. indeed. <laughs> so it goes back to the old Lalla Ward. Uh, in the, in the... Yeah,
1: but again, you've had a very small budget and quite often you made things for it, which was, was nice, particularly the horse.
0: Oh, Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's a legend, another legend. Uh, <laughs> yes. And both of those actors have actually been in Doctor Who playing a, a pantomime sea monster. So,
1: Yes, and the back half of the horse, I think it was, was a butterfly collector. Yes.
0: Uh, and uh, do, well, what were we, your other... Because you've done everything, you've done it in Sickness and in Health, haven't you, and EastEnders? And...
1: Yes, yes. And of course, the other completely the other end was I've done both an Alan Bennett and a Harold Pinter play. Yeah. Which is totally different. Um, and... The cast for the Alan Bennett was just um, a total delight because I had Hugh Lloyd, Julie Walters and Thora Heard.
0: Oh, Those
1: three together. That's, that's not a bad, not a bad <laughs> cast list. It um, was really great. And it could, they're sort of um, very sensitive pieces because it was a sort of um, a, a social worker who was really you no know, social helper herself in one sense. As you know you realise how um, people we expect to be strong helping us have got weaknesses as well, I think, in it. Um, So that was good, and of course, I'd always wanted to do a a Pinter play because it struck me as about the most difficult thing you could get, because Pinter's plays seem to to try and tell you nothing and leave you to work out everything. Mm. That makes sense. Yes, indeed. Yes, and so how do you do that in costumes?
0: So, in fact, you've got to do the opposite of what we were talking about before, where you give little hints to the audience as to the character and status you've got to
1: pull everything back but just still have the right little bit Mm. there
0: that sounds very challenging
1: indeed. which is very challenging yes because you can't obviously have absolutely a plain sheet Mm -hmm. it has to be something slight there but no you have to keep it very very low
0: And, and do you think you got away with it did you did you pull it off
1: well, the director thought was, was pleased, so that's a good start. They were all right. Good, <laughs> yes, yes, because <laughs> yes. it was always nice when you pleased your director.
0: Yes, and um, do, you, do you sort of mourn the loss of the the BBC as what? Well?
1: Yes, good. I think it's it's very sad, uh, partly because it did have the structure to to train people. You know, because I kind of wonder how anyone who wants to work in that business now who hasn't got a, a a bit of money behind them can actually do it because you're only going to you know you'll be picked up by a company you'll have short-term contracts and then you're out in the cold again um, that must be difficult and I suppose to you're not going to get such a wide experience in the shows that you got because you never knew what you were going to be allocated to and so you were forced to have a wide spectrum of shows Whereas I suspect if you work freelance, you probably get known for one particular thing. Like some actors get typecast. And so that means you, you know, you're know you cut off from a spectrum of other shows.
0: Yeah, you get pigeonholed. So they mm. go, oh, they do, they do the 1920s, so we'll just give up the 1920s. So we'll
1: give that to them. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a disadvantage because it was nice having the challenge of sort of, you know, doing Rent-A-Ghost and doing EastEnders.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I couldn't believe it when I, EastEnders, um, sitting in, in the office out there at Elstree reading a script. And I started off and there was Leslie Grantham, uh, 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 you know, and it was the two-hander.
0: <gasps> oh, yes. And
1: Anita Dobson.
0: The very famous And I one. kept
1: turning the page, waiting for it to change <laughs> And it didn't. And it was just the two of them.
0: It's quite an extraordinary episode, isn't it?
1: It is. I think very brave to do it. Um uh, but then I thought that that Julia Smith was, was quite a person. You know, oh well
0: tell us about Julia, because she worked on a on a few doctors. Well,
1: um I mean she grew up in the BBC. She could do everything, I remember mean, um um I think it was the, the Murphys. the They cut through the cable to the television centre when we were recording. So Julia had to edit, or had to edit. She did it with great glue, because she knew how to edit. So as we were recording the, the show, she was editing it. Which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you have to know what you're doing to do Absolutely. That. She knew absolutely what she was doing. And she... I think grew up with you know the sort of the the idea of softly softly all these things which had a i think a social contact I think they were about society looking at society and so they had a a kind of role that I think people were you know making them felt they had, and I think she took that into East Enders very much so she was regarded with fear and trembling by some people I remember. I had to do Sue Tully's wedding dress and I inherited a design from the previous designer, which I was aware Sue Tully hated because she was short and it was like a Laura Rushley thing up to the neck. And so I redesigned it. And I thought, well, if I asked Julia about doing it first, she might say no. So (laughs) she came to the fitting and it was a totally different dress. (laughs) But it was what Sue wanted. Mm -hmm. So it was okay. Um, But but that was quite a a thing. But um, I think we ended up getting on well because I teased her when we were filming the wedding because it was important. There was this little necklace there and I I said, oh, necklace? What necklace?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And since, I mean, I'm sitting in this lovely room that's got all sorts of delightful paintings. Well, I've
1: had a chance to go back to doing painting, which is nice. And there, there are two paintings in the other room, which... Um, got into, one at a time, uh, a competition run by the Daily Mail. They, they had this thing, they, they called Not the Turner Prize, mm-hmm. which you had to sort of edit your, enter your paintings for, which of course was a challenge in itself, just because of getting them there. Because I do paintings that are five foot tall and take them by the tube. Oh, blimey. <laughs> <laughs> With my husband in tow as well. Um. And both of them were accepted, you know, and then the two following years. And then, you know, sadly, they said, "See you next year," and it never happened. A third year, ah. so that was a pity. But uh, so,
0: but you, so you, you, you're still being creative.
1: Oh yes. exercising that muscle. Absolutely, and I, I'm still sharing my interest in in art as well because uh, I took on an adult group um, through Hounslow Council in educa- adult education and to taking them around London. And I've stopped doing it for the council, but we now all go out in an organised way to see things. And I've probably been practically doing that for as long as I was at the BBC now. <laughs> you know, we're all um, getting old together. In fact, two of them, yeah, they're 90 this year. Oh, my goodness. So I think a cake with nine O is in order. Definitely. For that. Yes. Well,
0: thank you very much uh, for, for sharing your memories with me and for allowing me into your lovely home. Um, and because you've given your time and because the listeners are not paying for this, we ask you to nominate a charity, which hopefully when, when the listeners have done uh, with their audio experience, they'll, uh, they'll go and make a donation to.
1: So the organisation is called MAP, which stands for Medical Aid for Palestinians. And they particularly need money at the moment because of the um, refugees going into Lebanon from Syria. Because they are a lot of there were Palestinian camps in Syria, so the people in those camps are all crowded into the areas. It's bit grim. And they 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 provide medical um, items and they also provide teaching to people. Oh, fabulous! Which is good.
0: Okay, well, that's a good one. That's one that nobody's chosen before. So, www.map.org.uk. And it's Doctor Who is fifty this year. Uh, It started on the twenty third of November, nineteen sixty three, the day after Mm -hmm. the assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, Some timing. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) And uh, so, what's your message to all the listening Doctor Who fans out there on this?
1: Keep watching and enjoying, I think.
0: Fabulous. Well, we will, and we'll keep watching your stories as well because they're absolutely stunning. Uh, And uh, thank you for sharing your memories. My pleasure. thanks to Doreen. Her charity is www.map-uk.org. That's map-uk.org. As ever, no pressure to donate, but uh, if you can, it would be appreciated. Uh, A lot of time and money go into these podcasts, uh, but we don't ask you to spend any on us. Well, us. So if everyone even just gives a nominal amount, it'll all add up and go towards the half hours of entertainment that you've hopefully just enjoyed. Up next, I'm back on Skype to an Australian who worked behind the scenes on the Hartnell era before becoming a fully-fledged BBC director himself. He talks sticky fingers, shaving an actress's face, and directing The Second World War. That's next time. Do please feedback to podcast at bigfinish.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter or look at my website, uh, www.tobehadoke.com. Hadoke is perversely spelled H A D O K E. And on that uh, website, there's a blog that's got humour, psoriasis, and Doctor Who. What more could you possibly want? Well, if the answer is someone who's worked on both Home and Away and Doctor Who, then please do join me on the next Who's Round. I'm Toby Hadoke. No, not
1: together. Coming soon
0: from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The Companion Chronicles. The Council of War. It was one of those quiet evenings that it all started. As I walked past the doctor's lab, he caught me in. Sergeant Benson, have you seen any ghosts lately? I didn't pretend to understand science the way the doctor did, but I knew for a fact that he did not believe in ghosts.
1: This is Captain Crow of the Vlatarian Mining Corporation. You have previously been informed that we would be visiting your planet to begin the final harvest of human slave units.
0: Trial? What trial? The Trial of Marjorie Phipps. I think in the circumstances there is only one verdict that can realistically be reached. Marjorie Phipps, I find you guilty on all counts. The sentence is death. Hands up. Nobody
1: move. I swung round
0: into the doorway, covering the room with my pistol. Half a dozen giant cockroaches stared back at me. The doctor straightened up and raised his arms to adopt the Queensbury stance. On guard!
1: Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.